This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. I thought maybe we'll have a little fun here. Uh, teach you a blues song. Hey, how many of you enjoy the blues? All right, a few of you out there. The rest of you suffer through it. Um, this, uh, this song was uh, picked up from a guy in uh, jail. And I'd never heard this song anywhere else but from this guy. So this may be the only place that you'll ever hear it. But it's easy to memorize and it's kind of catchy. And if you get with it, why, you'll be realizing that you're singing the blues. But you know that's what David sang when he sang the Psalms. You know, it was like, Well, when David sang the blue Psalms, he was really singing the blues. Oh, he sang it to an Israelite tune. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm just making that up. <clears throat> so here's the song. It's called, I Can't Live in This World Without My Lord. I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. Well, when I look around and see what the good Lord has done for me, I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. Try that with me. I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. But when I look around and see what the good Lord has done for me, I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't sing my songs without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't sing my songs without my Lord, without my Lord. the good Lord has done for me. I can't live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't pray. I can't pray my prayers without my Lord, without my Lord. I can't pray my prayers without my Lord. Without my Lord, when I look around and see what the good Lord has done for me, I can't live 
live in this world without my Lord, without my Lord, without my Lord, without my Lord. A little bit of blues. I I could do that all day, so don't don't get me started. I have fun. I just, that's all I do is have fun. I think Jesus is the most fun person in the whole world to hang out with. He's even more fun than most of you here. And uh, I enjoy just, uh, pardon? Ouch. Ouch, yes, yes. Amen or ouch. But he is a lot of fun. I mean, he's the kindest, gentlest, sweetest, most enjoyable person there is. If you don't have a living relationship with him, you need to get one. Because it's, a, it, it, it's just something so amazing and so wonderful. And, and you need to wake up knowing that you wake up before him. And, and you rise to meet and greet him. And everything you do all day, he's right there with you. There's nothing that you do that you don't do before him. There is nothing that is going on in your life he doesn't know about it. And here's the real kicker. He still likes you anyhow. Yeah, he loves you. And uh, he's not willing that anybody should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. One of the biggest struggles I've seen among Christians is that they sometimes grow up with a conception of Jesus that isn't accurate. The earliest concepts that we get of God come from our earthly parents. They're like God to us when we're little. And so, if you had a parent who was maybe abusive and angry all the time, you might think God is hard and angry and judgmental. If you had a milquetoast parent, you might think God is milk toast. He's none of the conceptions that we have of him as much as he is just himself. And he will reveal who he is to us. In John chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus says, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will speak of me, and he will take of mine and reveal it to you. I will reveal myself to you, he says. Why? Because you don't understand him right yet. You don't understand him as well as you will one day. When the veil is pulled away and we see him face to face, why, friends, it's just going to blow our minds. And we're going to say, oh my goodness, that's what it was. So I'm going to steal a title from a Philip Yancey book for today. And I want to talk to you about the Jesus I never knew. We're going to go to Luke chapter tw- or John's Gospel, sorry, chapter 20. And this is the passage, and this is my Easter sermon for you, since I'm not going to be here for Easter. So you got your, this will be Easter, pretend it's Easter. When you go outside, don't be shocked if you see flowers. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried in the tomb. It's 
Three days afterwards, and Mary is on her way to the tomb. Uh, she goes and finds that it's empty. Uh, she tells Peter and they and John, and they run in and see what it is. And, uh, but at verse 11 of chapter 20, it says, But Mary was standing outside of the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there. But get this. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, and these are two questions I'd underline, if you have your Bible or even on your phone if you can do it. He said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in the Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher, master. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Open it, O Lord, to our understanding. Help us to get a glimpse of you, maybe as we've never quite seen you. Help us to see you as you are and not as we imagine you to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, sometimes we grow up with a concept of God that is harsh or very easy going. Some people try to turn Jesus into conservative and others try to turn him into a liberal. Amen? That's the way it goes. Everybody claims him and they all have their idea about how they think Jesus would act in any given situation and in the circumstances of this world. But one thing I found out about reading the Gospels, nobody could really predict how Jesus would react in any given situation because he always came up with something that no one ever thought of before. You can't put God in a box. You can't pigeonhole him into a personality profile. I've read books by famed psychiatrists and psychologists on Jesus. 
I've read books by people who were trying to deride Jesus and others who tried to prop him up. And I've read books about Jesus that, uh, uh, you know, were, some were pretty good and some were pretty bad. But I was always haunted by something I picked up in The Search for the Historical Jesus, written by Albert Schweitzer. In his preface, in one of, his, of one of those editions, he said, I am keenly aware that no man can begin to write a historical study of the life of Jesus without in the end telling us more about himself than he will Jesus. You hear that? In fact, I am keenly aware that no preacher preaches a sermon that he doesn't also tell us maybe a good bit more about him than he does, or her, than he does Jesus. In fact, none of us give a witness or a testimony about Jesus that we don't wind up telling people more about us and our opinions and our ideas than maybe we're telling about Jesus. How do you let Jesus shine in your life as he truly is? And not as the Jesus you thought you knew him to be. You know? You see, Mary comes to the tomb thinking Jesus is dead. (laughs) That's what she now has in her head. That the Jesus she knew got beat to death, nailed to a cross, suffered, and died. And she's coming expecting Jesus to be dead. She's in grief. She had heard Jesus teach. She's heard him preach, but she still didn't quite understand what was going on. Woody read a passage to us just earlier about Jesus saying, I've got to go up to Jerusalem. I've got to go to this thing that's set before me. He told them over and over again that, hey, this temple's going to be torn down, but I will on the third day raise it up, speaking of his body. He, he explained to them the Son of Man must be crucified. He must die, suffer and die. He told them he would rise again on the third day, but they still didn't get it. They still didn't see Jesus as he was. If you can eat with Jesus, sleep with Jesus, walk with Jesus, spend all day and all night with Jesus, and still not totally understand what he's talking about and who he is, how do you think we're doing? Hmm. Jesus... Is so much more than our finite minds can comprehend. And we sometimes try to pigeonhole them in a box. We think, oh God, if you knew what was really going on in my life, you wouldn't love me. He already knows what's going on in your life, and he still loves you. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't want to, I'm fearful of judgment day. Friend, and if I get up there, God's going to see right through me, and then the jig is up, and I'm gone. You really believe that God doesn't love you? That he sent his son to die on the cross only for, well, you know, the perfect people. If he only died for the perfect people, why do he need to die if they're already perfect? Why does the Bible says 
There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Who's that include? All of us today? In here and out there? You know? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who's that? Everybody. That's the case. And, and you think God doesn't love you, then your understanding of God is too finite. <laughs> I, I love what John says in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect, and that means complete love, not flawlessness, but complete love casts out all fear. Wow. You might start out afraid of God, and fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end. You might start out scared. You know, I go into a new church and say, this place is weird. These people are going to the altar, people getting saved, I don't know what all of that. You might be afraid, but you're not understanding the love of God. When you really get a hold of him and he gets a hold of you, then the love that is in Christ grows in you. And you begin to realize, I have nothing to dread or fear. For I am loved more than I ever imagined myself to be. And it was only my imperfect understanding of him that made me believe that he had something against me. This is vital, folks. You know, I was raised by wolves. So I didn't have any understanding of God at all. Really didn't. I come to church, I didn't know what I was even getting into, what I was doing. You know, the I, I, only time I went to church when I was little uh, was on an Easter Sunday. My grandparents took me out to Milheim Baptist and they had a Sunday school lesson on Moses, so I thought Easter was about Moses. Talk about misunderstanding. I didn't know any of the things I was supposed to know. In some ways that helped me, in some ways it hindered me. Because it helped me in some ways, I didn't have to lose any preconceptions I got of God while I grew up in church. Somebody wrote the book called The Dangers of Growing Up in a Christian Home because you sometimes hear things that you misinterpret. I didn't have to do that, but my real danger was I could think so wildly about things, I could make stuff up. You know? And when I was young, I wasn't above making stuff up. You know? Don't laugh too hard. Some of you made some stuff up yourself. But I had to get past that. Mary, in getting past where she was understanding, she had to work through her grief. She had to get past what it was she was really looking for. 
She thought she was finding Jesus by finding his body. Some of us make church as almost the same way. It's almost as if it's a funeral service. And we're here to talk about somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and suffered and died on the cross, and, and we're all talking about him, but none of us are acting like we're actually engaging him. I'm not saying this group. I'm just saying all those out there do that, but not us. But we come and we go through the motions. Almost as if Jesus has died. And when we get to heaven, we hope to see him one day. So Jesus says to Mary, she doesn't know it's Jesus. He's risen in a glorified, resurrected body. I mean, she probably thinks he's one of those angels she saw. He's probably glowing a little bit. And, and by the way, death changes how you look sometimes. If you don't believe me, go to a funeral. But uh, he's risen from the dead. He's resurrected. His mortal has put on immortality. The earthly has put on the heavenly. You know, I mean, when you get resurrected, you're not going to look like you do now. Hallelujah. I can't wait to get resurrected. You know, I'm going to look unbelievably better than I do now. At least that's my hope. I'm waiting for this mortal to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be changed. She didn't know who he was. But he asked her a question. Woman, why are you weeping? See, the hindrance to knowing Jesus is, is that we're not introspective. We're not looking at ourselves inside to see what our real motives and motivations are. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you coming to church? Why are, are you talking about Jesus the way that you do? Uh, what makes you think that Jesus is acting this way? You know what we need to do? Instead of telling people what to do so much, we need to ask them a whole lot more questions. Like Jesus did. How are you experiencing Jesus? You know? How is Jesus at work in your life? How is he growing with you? What sense of his divine presence do you experience in your own life? Why are you doing what you're doing? Mary, why are you weeping? And the second question comes right on top of it. Who are you seeking? Why would he ask her that? He already knew the answer to that. She was thinking, seeking dead Jesus. She wasn't even looking for zombie Jesus. She was looking for dead Jesus. Who are you seeking? And she answers by saying, Oh, I came here and, and my, my Lord has been taken away and, and, and I do not know where they put his body and I'm trying to find him and he does something so remarkable that reveals to her who he is something that you never really thought of he didn't hand her a doctrinal book he said to her Mary he called her name he called her by name God knows your name. 
And when he spoke his name, her name to her, I don't know how he said it, but he must have had a way of saying it, that she knew it was him. And as soon as she said that, her eyes are open and she says, Rabbani, Master, you're the one. You're alive. How can that be? I thought you were dead, Jesus. But here you are, you're a living Jesus. And all of a sudden she reaches out and must just embrace him and clings to him and hangs on to him. She's getting a hug out of Jesus. You know, some of us are huggers. And other of us are handshakers. And some of us are a little pinky high or just wave. Mary must have been a hugger. As soon as Jesus was there, she's clinging to him. She's what her, he's what she has been seeking with her whole heart. And Jesus says, stop clinging to me. You know, because I have not yet arisen to my father. What, what's, what's he saying that for? I've heard all kinds of things where people try to say, well, Jesus' body had to go to heaven before she could really cling to him and all that. Now, Jesus is simply, I think, telling him, telling Mary, stop clinging to me. I've got to go. I'm I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. And the reason for that is, is that we sometimes want to cling to the Jesus we had instead of the Jesus that is here now. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus says, it's expedient that I go away, otherwise the Comforter will not come. But when I send him, remember I said this earlier, he will speak of me, and he will lead you and guide you in the truth, and he'll take of mine and reveal it unto you. You will experience me through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. You will know Jesus better in the Spirit than you could have known him if you would have walked with him on the dusty streets of Jerusalem. Because as we've already learned, those that walked with Jesus on the dusty streets who ate and slept with him still didn't understand him and did not understand what was going on. They ran away. They denied him. They betrayed him. They disappeared. They didn't know what they're doing. Again, only John gets it right. He's the good kid. Not like the rest of us. But most of us just totally misunderstand. But when you know someone by their spirit, then you truly know them. You don't know somebody because you've met them. You know, I, I have family members and relatives back years ago. They, they talk, still talk about it as if I really had something going on big time. I met Johnny Cash when I was young. I was a songwriter hanging out in Nashville. And, uh, but I actually started out at the Ohio State Fair. He was singing there at the Ohio State Fair, and I was in a group that opened before he sang, came on stage. And, uh, but a girl that cut my hair back then used to date one of the Statler brothers, Don Reed. And so she said, you need to go tell Don who you are and tell him I sent you and play your songs for them. So I was just young and stupid enough to go do that. I knocked on the trailer door there behind the grandstand at the High State Fair, and I said, uh, Don came to the door. I said, hey, uh, Phyllis told me to 
uh, share with you songs, and she told me she used to date you, and said I should share songs. They said, well, yeah, Phyllis, we know Phyllis, come on in. So I sat down and sang my songs for the Statler brothers. That's how crazy you are when you're young. You don't know any better. And they said, well, that sounds like something Johnny Cash would like. Why don't you go over and knock on his trailer and, and sing those for him? So I did, and, and he said, well, we're getting real ready right now, and I can't do it at the moment, but come on down to Nashville, and, and we'll see what we got. So I, I didn't wait letting grass grow under my feet. I was going to Nashville, man. I think I got down there before he got home. And uh, I got to the house of Cash and, and uh, made those recordings and did little things there and, and talked with Johnny Cash. I was there when he was approving the album cover for The Gospel Road. Met a young man who made his first album. Nobody had ever heard of him. His name was Larry Gatlin or something like that. But... Uh, so there, but that's all that come of it. He never did record one of my songs. I didn't become famous. I didn't know anything. And I never got back. I got to the studio, went to his house, but that was it. And people would go around and say, Oh, Steve, he knows Johnny Cash. No, I don't. I met Johnny Cash, but I don't know Johnny Cash. I never knew him. I met him. You know, that's all. I had an interaction. Not the same thing. I wouldn't know him until I know how he thought. What's inside of him. How he really felt about things. What really motivated him. And, 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 and what were the things that he really, really stood for. Do you understand the difference? You don't know somebody because you see him on TV and people act like they do. We judge people all the time and never know them. We're judging books by the covers. We never know the contents. And you never get to know Jesus if you simply see pictures of him. If I would ask you all to close your eyes and picture Jesus, you would probably picture him with long, flowing, almost red hair, like an Irishman with a beard. You know? And you would say, oh, that's Jesus. But did you really see him? In fact, John sees Jesus in the book of the Revelation. And he sees him with hair as white as wool and eyes the flame of fire. What's Jesus even look like? You see, we have to come to the place where we recognize that what we need to know about Jesus, we can know by their spirit and who they are. To us. I often say this at funerals. You never really will know the person that you love, that you're married to, or your dad or your mom, until they are taken from you. Because then you know the place they actually filled in your life. And you will see them clear because you will know more who they were and what they meant to you when they're taken from you. There are things you will learn about them then that you can't possibly learn now because you're still clinging to their physical presence. You must go deeper. Deeper. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and come to know God from the inside out and not from the outside in. Deep calleth unto deep, the scripture says. The spirit broods over the waters of our soul. And God wishes to speak deep. Jesus comes on our heart's door and he stands at the door and knocks, knocks, knocks. Why? Because he wants to come in and be inside you and for you to know him by the spirit and not know about him. You see, we spend a lot of time talking about Jesus when we need to spend a whole lot more time talking to Jesus. We spend a lot of time giving opinions on what we think Jesus is and what he would have done when we need to say, Lord, do your work inside of me. Lord, show me who you are. The best thing Jesus ever did for us was to go to heaven and send the Spirit to bring us to a place where we can know God as He is. We truly know Jesus. People say, oh, Jesus was just gentle and kind. Yeah, He was. But as I always say, He was easy to please but hard to satisfy. He was pleased with your right steps in the right direction the first few times, but he's never satisfied till you keep growing and growing and growing. You can be a rich young ruler who's kept all of the commandments except one. You, your wealth was too great. And he says, well, I'm not satisfied with you. If you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, if you really want to know me, you need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Oh, Jesus. Uh, maybe I thought we could just hang out for a bit. Well, if you want to feel fullness and completeness, Jesus says, I'm going to call you to something more, something deeper, something higher. And that's essential for spiritual growth. The thing that burdens my heart often in the church today is we're just not growing spiritually. We're not getting any deeper with God. We, we, we do church in a way to make it easy for all of us. We don't want anybody to feel too uncomfortable. But let me tell you something about Jesus that I've learned. He makes me uncomfortable all the time. Do you know that? Because I'm still a kid in the eyes of the Lord that still needs His hand on me. I still need the discipline of the Lord. I still need His correction. I still need to step it up. I'm not dead yet. And with Paul, I have to say, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I have to forget some things that are behind me and keep moving forward so that I can know Him and be found in Him, Paul says. I need to go deeper. And we must go deeper. Deeper, deeper still. It's the only thing I really know in my personal life that I can bank on is that Jesus is so much more than I ever thought He was when I started out. He is so much richer and deeper and wiser 
and so much more engaged in everything that is going on in this world than I could have imagined or thought. Let me just close and put this in your head today. A lot of people today think, well, God must be not caring what's going on in the world. No, my friends, this is my Father's world. He's deeply engaged in everything that happens in this world. And he is at work. He has one goal in mind, the salvation of souls. He's not here to give this group an advantage over this group. He is here with one goal in mind. He cares more that you make it to heaven than whether or not your life is good here. He really does. He wants more of a relationship with you than anything else in the world. And he's not so concerned with what other people think of how that looks. He wants to engage you. He says, today the kindest, most amazing words anybody ever spoke in all of human history. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You've been beat up, bruised, broken by the world. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Rest in me. That's extraordinary. And that's what he's called us to. Stand with me. I've gone a little at length this morning for this reason. It's the last time I'll get a chance to talk to you all. And, uh, ouch. But I really want you to know that no matter what life throws at you, which way it's gone or turned, Jesus is standing right here. He's with you. Don't look for him in the things that are dead. Look for him among the living. He is the Lord of life. And he will walk with you. So today as we get ready to sing, I want you to bow your heads with me. And we've done this before, but I want you to take you a little different way this morning. Say with me, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Say it again. Sense his presence. Feel his nearness. Now Jesus is speaking to each and every one of us in one way or another. There may be in your life a sin to forsake. There may be a need for you to come to Jesus today for the first time. There may be in your life a relationship that you need prayer about and you need it to change and, and to make it better and right. Maybe 
There are things in your life that are totally out of your control. Jesus cares about every one of those things. And he wants to be engaged in all of it in your life. So right now, whatever that circumstance or situation you can picture in your life where you maybe feel like, boy, I feel kind of out of it with God here, or I feel like this relationship doesn't be what it ought to be. Right now, picture that relationship and pray and say, Jesus, come and step in the middle of that relationship right now. Right now. And maybe you're not a Christian today. Well, those are praying that if you're not a Christian and you want to become one right now, all you need to do is say, Lord Jesus. You can just say that right now. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. You're knocking at my heart's door. I open it. Lord, come in. Forgive me of my sins. Without you, I can't do any better, Jesus. Come into my life. And give my heart and my soul rest. And give me your eternal life. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Praise him right now. Thank him for everything he's done in your life. Thank him for all the things that have happened for you, even in this place now. Thank him. Because he has been good to you. Lord Jesus, As we work through some of these things in our own lives, we ask you to stand in the midst of who we are, draw us closer to you, abide in us and let us abide in you. May we feel the deepening of our soul in the spirit of the living God. Come, mighty rushing wind, and just fill us with your spirit. Allow your spirit to dwell deep within that we may know Jesus as we have never known him before. Lord, may we not have any experience that causes us to get excited about an experience But Lord, give us the deepening of the Spirit that we can get excited about Jesus and give you praise and honor and glory to your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.